Okay, let's do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of Reproducibility. We've just had a conversation about which episode this is, and none of us have any idea. I'm that's... brain dead, okay? Like, it's been a long <laughs> week, and it's only Tuesday. Oh, no, it's, no it is Tuesday. <laughs> um, yeah. That sort of answers my question of how are you. <laughs> yeah. Um, how am I? I'm I'm okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Without yeah, it's it's all going okay. That's that's what if not I would go into a, a long story, so let's just leave it as um life is okay right now. Sophia, and you, you've Sophia. been doing maths, no? Oh yeah, yeah. I just had an exam yesterday, which I survived. Oh, God. Um, uh, math dads. Um, the, literally the the hardest and most challenging course that I've taken in my entire educational career, or however you call that. Like, it was it was just it was great, but really challenging. But I'm really it glad it kind of helped and added a bit to the way that you kind of think about the the stats behind stuff as well yeah yeah i mean because i just i just feel like i have a much better understanding of how um it all works now i mean we didn't get far right we literally got um i think i think actually well technically we stopped just before looking at t-tests <laughs> um right because we just did a lot of um, probability theory at first and then sort of went into the mass um but yeah right so no, I think yeah. Like, like the main thing is just that I now feel much more confident in yeah my understanding of statistics. I think just because I kind of know and like really have an idea of the math behind it, the actual math behind it, and um, I am much less scared when I see Greek letters now. Uh, I actually I went to a talk the other week where they um, where someone uh, had some formula in it, and I was like, what? I get this. Uh, told my partner about this, and he was like, "Well, that's probably because it was so easy that <laughs> like, it was, like it was just <laughs> so easy that you got it." And I was like, "Yeah, that's fair, <laughs> but still, I wouldn't like it was lots of Greek letters and things, and I wouldn't have got it before, so I was still very happy." Um, I'm sorry, I still put you in there, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's um, fine. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I, I think. The main thing is, I, I really think that everyone should have that kind of further um, mathematical statistics training. It's just, it's super useful. Oh, we've had this um, discussion loads with like in our department. Um, don't really want to bitch about our department as that's not really in the remit of our podcast, but more or less there's a discussion about that a lot of the students don't want to learn statistics. And naturally, a lot of them won't be scientists. So we shouldn't be training them as much in statistics because they don't want to learn it. And I think that's more or less, Sam, you can interrupt me if, if I'm getting the gist wrong. But then I started thinking about like, well, <laughs> we are a scientific course. And to be a good psychological scientist, you need to know the statistics, especially if you want to go into research. But even if you go out and work as a public servant or work as um, some sort of consultant, if I would want to know that you can understand statistics, because that's what psychology a little bit, you know, that's what our subject is. And just professors saying that students don't want to learn statistics, well, then we need to either recruit other students or just teach it to them anyways. Like, Education is not like there for fun, I guess, mainly, even though the UK is going more and more in that direction with students becoming hmm. consumers and not students. But yeah, it, it made me think a lot about, you know, are we want, do we want to train scientists or do we just want to train people who think they know psychology but then can't even recognize simple errors in, in papers with stats? And it's a really yeah, no, slippery I mean, I... argument, right? Because if you turn around and say, most of our students aren't going to be neuroscientists, so why bother teaching them mm. about the amygdala? Like, you could just delete 90% of courses under the, the exact same argument that they're not yeah, going to work most, in this area. So most teach them how to be... in the UK 
or like at least like a lot of like like a large part of the pathology students that I know uh, ended up becoming lawyers through a law conversion course. So shouldn't yeah. philosophy courses just consist of law, right? It's a bit weird. Well, and then like um, or like, like a management consultancy be... course, like no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the, at the very least, I think changing the narrative so it's like you want. I think students should leave to be able to be good consumers of research and that requires the statistical knowledge and the methodological knowledge to be able to sit there and actually assess a research base. Yes, but I think we should first of all get to the point where you have like a really good basic stats training. Like this math stats course is oh, probably yeah, yeah, a little bit too far, that, right? Because I, mean. I I don't think I don't think people necessarily need to be able to um like to maybe say like I, I need to like relearn a lot of uh like calculus. You know, and I don't think people actually need to do sort of do integration and stuff um, and do like do everything behind it in order to understand things well enough. Right. So I don't think it needs to go as far as the course that I just took. But I do agree that it, that people should get, receive much better stats training than they do at undergrad. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 so obvious. But then I also think that we are currently not training the right kind of psychologists who then don't become, we don't have the right kind of senior scientists, at least I, I feel that in, in my surroundings. You know, people who are very brilliant at their subject matter but don't see statistics as a core part of what they do, more as a means to an end than part of the question. And I, I think that that naturally then yeah mirrors back onto the education and it it's made me think a lot so i was reading the one data set many analyst paper today morning on the train Mm, and a lot of what they were talking about naturally it's a really cool paper and it talks to so much of what i've been doing in my phd but they really talk about this creativity to do with data analysis and that we often don't see that as a sort of as yeah, that we often see it as some sort of means to an end, but it's such a vital part of what we do. Um, so yeah, I was I was literally talking about this today um, about this idea of you know what kind of in uh, quotation marks um, people are in different departments, right? Um, because I was thinking about sort of considering where I want to do my PhD. I was like. I'm really lucky in Amsterdam in that there are so many, because you have the whole methods, um, groups, whatever things, um, that is the technical term. Um, like you have all of these people who really care and you have all of these people who, um, who want to get better at those things and, and realize that exactly, just, just realize um, that statistics isn't exactly as you say, isn't just a tool that you just need to be able to apply, but something that you really need to understand. And then if I see at, if, see, if I look at the uh, kind of reading groups and things that the PhD students are forming, I'm just like, that's super cool. Like I also, when, if uh, like while, while doing a PhD, want to be part of a reading group on Markov chain Monte Carlo or something. Like it's it's just like that it's limits awesome. the, that and, limits your department. You can choose quite considerably, <laughs> Sophia. Let's just right. No, but I was like this thing. I was like, exactly like that's what I was like. That's what I'm a bit worried about. I'm a bit like I, yeah, I, I do want to know that there will be some people around who will be who, who I don't know who are motivated enough to look further into those kind of things that won't immediately um, help them, but it does. But you know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah. stuff that sort of makes them better at the tools. Or makes them, makes them understand the tool, tools better. Not exactly that way around. Yeah, well, and I, um, I think for me a huge change was when we start doing reproducibility, just having a group of people who are interested in even, even you know, I never had something in my department where we read broader literature. You know, we didn't even have a reading group for our small area of literature. You know, let's not even talk about that. But, like, I think that that has really benefited me as a scientist but also kind of benefited my mental health like my enjoyment of the job because in the end it it builds a community around shared interests um and you're not alone all the time on your laptop or or something so yeah which brings us to community eh sam (laughs) what's the topic of today's transition 
<laughs> that that was that was an amazing segue, made all the better by us all pointing out simultaneously. <laughs> um, so so I guess the the focus of what we really wanted to talk about was the the community, right? So we we put together the journal club in the first instance to to try and build a community within Oxford Experimental Psychology and slightly more broadly. Um, a really cool bit of good news is that um, Cambridge has started their own reproducibility journal club which is awesome um and of course if anyone else wants to start something similar we fully support that that would be great because it's it's just a nice way of getting people together um yeah we have all our materials on the osf and we'll link to that which we'll definitely link to show show notes (laughs) show notes um so, and also, if, if people want to set up a uh, reproducibility varsity, you know, Cambridge, we've challenged you. <laughs> <laughs> we we challenged them on snacks, I think, didn't we? Um, no, I mean, we, we could do that. We, we'd have like, like a, a varsity on registered reports or something like that. Oh, um, but I think I think at least for like pre-registration challenge, Oxford is like pretty high up, which kind of annoys me because it's mainly, I think it's mainly Dorothy Bishop and her group. And then everybody's like, oh, Oxford is doing so well. And you're just like, uh-huh. You know that rankings don't really show the true picture. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, so so the open science community, I guess, is is broadly the our sort of topic of discussion today. I feel kind of weird being the the Sanjay on this. Um, so I guess as background, we, we've talked a good few times and actually on the Black Goat podcast, they mentioned different people's roles and how they they sort of naturally fell into the role of uh, Sanjay Stravastava being the kind of the discussion lead almost on the podcast. So, so between the three of us, we quite often just describe who's leading the episode as who's going to be the Sanjay. Um... But this community kind of topic, we're, we're going to dig into the open science community, I think, particularly on Twitter. Re- realistically, I think that's going to be the focus of our, our conversation and the, the difference between open science as a, a community, as a, as a collection of practices that people employ. Um, but it also kind of feels weird being the, the white dude in our trio kind of leading this discussion. Um, but I guess we can get into that as we go. Um, um, I think I think absolutely fine. fine. Yeah, because <laughs> um, Sophia look at talks the... so much. <laughs> Sorry? I said Sophia and I talk a lot. We we do talk exactly. a lot. Exactly. So, um, I was I was literally yeah. going to say if you look at the relative uh, sort of airtime. Yeah. Oh, I don't even want to say. Um, <laughs> but because I want to no hog problem. more airtime, we were talking about this at lunch today. Like my lab group, somebody we're we're talking about. So like that, the UK now has something called the UK Research Network, which we can also link to in the show notes. Um, and uh, not not research, reproducibility network. Um, and I was just talking about it, and then at one point, uh, a postdoc said like, "Oh wow, so it's." like that open science stuff that's become like a real like community like how do you join <laughs> and i was just like so that's paraphrasing but that was more or less the the question and yeah it looks down links really well to our episode because in the end i don't know what do you i think like I, I i don't think i ever like joined the open science community but then i very much feel like part of the open science community now so i don't know yeah, I think it's it's weird, right? I think like I guess I guess you probably have to define it by your interactions with other people um, who are interested in this, because everything else. I mean, you know, it's because it short like it can't be entirely linked to Twitter, for example. Even though a lot of stuff happens on Twitter, um, because that is that just excludes lots of people who um, maybe aren't as much on Twitter as much, or who are, who are never on Twitter. Um, but at the same time, it does seem to be a big part of it. But I don't know, for me, I think I, I felt like part of the community before SIPS, but after SIPS, I, I felt, I, I don't know, I just, like the SIPS to me was a real sort of turning point in a way. Like I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of this community um, just because I met quite a, like, quite a lot of people in, in person. 
um, I don't know. I I felt I felt like part of the community beforehand as well. Um, you know, because we we had the journal club and I had talked to people on on Twitter and things and um, yeah, I was I was engaging with stuff. But SIPs, I don't know for some reason that made it more. I don't know. Maybe more tangible. tangible? You yeah. kind of you've got you can. It's not so much putting faces to names, but it's it's really engaging with the people behind the social media accounts or the the papers mm. that discuss open and reproducible science related things um and especially that feeling of sort of that that everyone was on board right so everyone like there was there was no discussion on like is there a problem or not it was just let's try to do things to fix it and i do think a big part of this as well is this openness to criticism um, or like this, like this, this, this openness to. Um, or I, I mean, I've been told that there's a difference between criticism and critique. So I don't, I don't mean criticism as in just throwing stuff out, but um, telling, like, sort of telling people, hey, this this seems wrong. I like this is better or something. I don't know. Um, I mean, like, like, I'm just, like, yeah, I don't know. Like at, at one point in SIPs, at, during SIPs, for example, uh, someone was wanting to use post hoc power for something that wasn't that, that didn't wasn't going to do what he what uh, he thought it was going to do um, and I pointed it out and there was no problem with this um, even though I'm just like a, a small master student and this was a full professor mm-hmm. right so I, I this could this sort of this openness to being wrong and getting it right together I like to me that seemed like a really big part of it as well but I don't know what do you think yeah I think one of the things for me that maybe characterizes the the open science community and I guess as part of that on a more formal level maybe is SIPs. It's kind of hard because I, I sort of naturally put them both together, but a lot of the recent discussions have kind of segregated the two very slightly in, in my mind. Um, because I, I think... Um, the the fact that you can go to something like SIPs and it's about building solutions, it's about putting people together, it's kind of it is a, a community, but it's a very close knit community that's working together on things, whereas the broader open science community, I think you could loosely term as people that use open science practices. And that's maybe different. Mm. And I think SIPs is kinda of characterized a little bit by some, one of my favourite things about the conference is that they really flag up the code of conduct. So, so as background, a lot of our the reason why we wanted to talk about this is because there's been a lot of negativity. Let's call it. There's been a lot of sort of online social media debate about the uh, the appearance, the uh, the kind of public persona that some people feel that open science has or doesn't have. Um, whereas for me, I had the very opposite. For me, the SIPS community was so, so kind of unmistakably positive that any any comment that could be taken out of context to be negative was so obviously almost like an in joke, to put it that way. Um, but it's so to go back the the code of conduct. They they bring that up at the beginning to. To speak out against harassment they have it very clearly that everyone's kind of there on the same basis there isn't a, a seniority kind of side of sips everyone's kind of on the same level we're all working together for a, a common goal of wanting to improve the way that research is done in in uh, psychological science um but Whereas... it, I don't think it just needs to be SIPs coming from... I've never been to SIPs. Um, and, like, hearing you two talk about it, I, I have really reflected on, like, when did I feel like it was a community? And I think part of it is the people, um, meeting people in person. For me, it took a long time to really get... like. I remember, sorry for the segue, but like I remember really vividly how I, because I went, you know, two years ago, I still didn't even know what R was or what 
pre, you know, I probably heard about pre-registration. It was not on my mind. And then I went to tubing for my six months research kind of placement. Um, and I think the key thing that I had there was time. And I, I met some few key people um, that really <laughs> helped me kind of get that first steps into that community, whether that's giving me, telling me what R was or giving me a book or um, somebody invited me along to a talk from um, Chris Chambers. And I remember that I decided to go to the dinner, even though I had no, I had no clue who Chris Chambers was. Um, but, you know, I was alone in this in this city. And I remember sitting there and people were talking about Elsevier and, you know, pre-registration registered reports and I just remember being like I have no freaking clue about like anything <laughs> just a, a complete silence I feel like I didn't contribute at all but like these were the times when I started seeing that there was a community you know people started people were asking questions and people who I feel like I should trust who seem to be amazing scientists are asking questions which I haven't asked myself you know I should be asking these questions and then I think then that morphed into more and more meetings in person, which again helped build that community because you see that people in the open science community would bend over backwards for you to to get that step ahead. Um, I think I've not seen that at all in other parts of academia of senior people really seeing that every step you take in the right direction is also a good step for them because they want young people to adopt these practices and, and have a chance. But then I think the third thing that really felt like a community is that at the moment we are, I know that in the long run, I don't think we're shooting ourselves in the foot and I think we're doing things right. But at the moment, sometimes you feel like you're up against a massive, massive problem as somebody who's very, very small and you're trying to adopt practices that nobody else around you is adopting and you are slowing yourself down and you feel like you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. But I think as you're all doing that together, that also helped me build a community that you can, you're like, okay, we're all gonna do this. And we know that we're not going to maybe next year get the positive reward from it, but we all believe in these things. Um, and I think these three things have built for me a community of people who are so supportive that yeah I, I can't believe how lucky I am sometimes um and that's me ranting over <laughs> but yeah <laughs> positive ranting positive yeah. ranting yeah but that's that's what I so my, my personal experience of the open science community is that barring some the odd negative online exchange that I sort of witness from a distance if if you have a problem people are really really keen to try and help you with it if if there's something methodological that you're unsure of if there's a tool that you don't know how to use i think the the people that are more engaged in open science that i've seen tend to be the same people that are really really wanting to help other people improve the way that they're doing things um and i guess I guess before we take a very quick break, that would be kind of my brief summary of of the way that I see the open science movement is that it tends to be a very positive step forward where people want to help each other improve the methodology. Yeah, when we, when people are so passionate about, about this um, that they do take time out of their day to explain stuff all the time. Like if I, I like whenever you ask a question uh, on Twitter with like the open science hashtag um, or like if like if I retreated stuff or whatever, like you always so many people um, will come to your help and will um, will link to papers, will share their opinions, will get into a debate. That's just I don't know. I think that's I think it's amazing. And these yeah. these are not people who are there to to sort of push anyone down. These are people who. Are talking about this passionately because they think that everyone should be talking about it and should be improving together. I think it's a real standing on each other's shoulders. You know, we can reach yes, longer, exactly. higher. And I wrote a piece, which I don't know where I, I wrote it actually for my college here in Oxford. But yeah, I do feel like these, you know, we'll never get to where we want to be without standing on each other's shoulders. And people are so willing for you to do that. 
um, and together we're so much more than we are kind of by ourselves. Hi everyone, Sam here taking you through a slightly different break from the norm. Um, So this episode we've been trying to tackle quite a difficult topic of how the open science community is perceived um, and how it deals with bullying and critique, um, particularly on social media. We know that there's been a number of uh, kind of issues and tensions that have been running high in the recent few months, um, and really that was one of the things that led us to this topic. Um, but we're also aware that because of that, um, however hard we've we sort of tried, it's possible that we might we may not have been as sensitive as we might have been about some particular issues, or maybe we just didn't have time to cover other equally important ones. Um, the main message really of this episode is that we, we of course, love open science, um, and we want to reassure everyone that they're welcome in this community. Um, now if you want to continue the discussion, uh, whether we've missed something, whether we need to be corrected on something, whether um, whether we could improve in general, um, you can contact us on Twitter, we're at reproducibility, um, without the EA. Uh, we have an email address that's reproducibility at gmail.com. Um, you can also contact us via Twitter on our DMs, they're open. Um, we're happy to talk to anyone and everyone. Um, like I say, we just want to build the open science community. Now, back to the discussion. Hello everybody, we are back. Thank you for listening. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter, you can email us, you can DM us if you've got any suggestions for future episodes or want feedback. Uh, that would be great. We've had uh, folk contacting us about our Leaving Academia um, topic, which we're going to revisit at some point. So it would be really cool if anyone else has got any thoughts on that to hear more. Um, yeah, so so we've been talking about the open science community, and I think we're wanting to to maybe dive a little bit more into, in a very non-specific way, um, some of the, the fairly recent controversies, debates arguments well recent and recurring well, right? I, I think it's this... recurring but then i think also something that is like really important is that they are very visible but i think everybody has a different way of treating them and i don't i i i myself don't know what's right or wrong you know like i i don't like being very confrontative um and so whenever things get overtly um kind of aggressive or you can just see that this debate is not going to lead anywhere i often just exit (laughs) um and but then i sometimes feel bad because then i have other people who continue the debate kind of for me and i just don't do that work but then i don't feel like in that position that one it's a lot of brain space and and two it's just not something that i feel comfortable but then I also think that some debates are really worthwhile um and for me it's it's yeah it's um it's something I grapple with really yeah so should we take a step back and just kind of characterize this a little bit as there have been a few a few instances lately where either people have been just outright dicks and that happens because it's twitter there's some accounts where there's a sort of borderline where some people are putting forward forwards uh, kind of legitimate criticism and that could be on the boundary between being too harsh or not too harsh and so on. But I think what, what got all of us kind of keyed up to talk about this was that there's this kind of narrative that if if the open science community has kind of some negative rogue elements then that's a problem because it puts people off or um or it it puts the community on a downward slope because we're tolerant of intolerance essentially i think is one of the phrases that i'm that i've seen Um, i mean it's no i mean i think i think it's uh, sorry but just 
to immediately go into that though. Yeah. I this this idea that the community is tolerant of intolerance or intolerant of bullies is just there's no evidence for this at all. Like people people who bully, people who are clearly bad actors are called out publicly. And sure, we cannot stop them from joining conversations because exactly, we cannot stop them from existing. But they have been called out. They continue to be called out. And that's good. And that should be done. Like individually, people should be called out, of course. But people do this, right? So there is no tolerance of bullying. But then, but then people do this thing of sort of, of blanket um, calls of, of bullying, bullying, right? Sort of, oh yeah, the open science movement has a, has a problem with bullying and harassment, even um, it's always sexism women. as well. And so it's always, exactly, yeah. Mm. So like broken science and stuff. And I think that's way more damaging than the bullies that are being called out, right? Because these, the, the bullies are horrible and they should continue to be called out and they do a lot of damage, but they are being called out. But this idea, like putting out this idea and this narrative of a bro culture in open science and, and, and a culture of investment and bullying in open science um, is, is super damaging if it's done in a blanket way because it, it will deter people from getting engaged with any of this uh, on the one hand, right? Because people will, will think that this is actually the case when it's not. And it will give people who want to take this as an excuse an excuse to not get engaged with open science, right? So it, it kind of, I think the blanket call of bullies is inevitably a support of the status quo, either in the way that people who might want to get involved don't, or in the way that, and or in the way that people who really don't want to get involved take this as an excuse. And I think that's so problematic. And it's like, call out the bullies, call out the individual bullies, we'll all support you. And we, we should all do this as well. But don't say that all of open science has a problem because there are two people who are who are clearly bad actors, or even but or worse. Sorry, I'm I'm talking a lot, but worse. What about like, 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 you know? Sort of, I think I think sorry. I think part of the reason why people talk about do, do this blanket statement of um, of people are bullies is also because they are putting those clearly bad actors in the same. Um, group as people who are acting in good faith and who might misphrase things or who might not come across like in a way in a way that makes it clear that what they're criticizing is the science not the scientist right and I think those people who are acting in good faith should be given the benefit of the doubt and they should be shown um, civility and a good tone as well and I think it's really scary how quickly people pile onto these critiques of papers because they perceive the criticism to be bullying. Well, and especially and 50% when those papers of the are, time, the paper will be written by somebody who is of the female gender, and then it's seen as, as oh, sexism. And, and I, I, I think, like... I understand that sexism is a huge problem, like, I, I really, really do. Um, but I think that there are so many people who have valid points to make and you can't shut down half of the conversation of really examining science and looking into it and um, debating it because the author is female. Um, and. I, it just makes me feel really disenfranchised because we, as a woman in open science, I feel part of the community. And then people say that my community is mainly men calling out women. Um, and then I feel like so, so many, like literally 50% probably of the key players in open science, maybe more that come to my mind right now are women. You know, and they are yeah. so key to everything that I've achieved, and I think everything that the movement has achieved. And by blanket ruling out, um, or by blanket saying that open science has a problem with the bullying behaviors, and yes, again, Sophia, I completely agree with you. There are bad actors, um, they need to be called out. But by giving it this sense of that, 
I don't only have these worries like you had, Sophia, that they're, it might deter people and it will give people an excuse not to engage who don't want to engage. I also feel like it's an injustice for the people, for, for a lot of people generally, because people are taking the moral high ground and saying that, oh, this open science community has this issue. You know what you're doing? You are, min you know, you're distilling a whole community of diverse people, of different genders, different, you know, all sorts of diversity that we don't even think about into one thing. And then you you are, I feel like you're disenfranchising like 90% of the movement. And you can't be saying, you, you can't be taking the more high ground and then um, just blanket ignore so much that is going on. I don't know. Um, yeah, and, 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 and uh, I think at least some of these people that I've seen also, uh, don't just blanket ignore so much of the movement, but they also then, when the rest of the movement uh, sort of speaks out and goes, hey, I exist. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm a girl they, too. They, 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 I, I got the impression that some of these people aren't arguing in good faith necessarily. Like I got, I got some slightly uh, aggressive uh, pushback on, on things, um, sort of also telling me that, that I was, that I was doing something like saying that boys will be boys, which is just like, really? And sorry, the point, the, sorry, the, the point of this was, um, Well, the issue... We're not... Yeah. yeah sorry, well, yeah, no, yeah. like, the issue is, is that mm, the boys are mainly male. Like... As in the actual yeah, bad actors bad are actors. male. Sure. But that is exactly... That's, like, like how if, life if, normally if, if, is. If, if, if we're talking about feminism and things, right, that is, of course, the main bad actors are men, because society, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, as in... Yeah, that, I mean, that's no, no, simplistic, no, but, but I guess, like, we know... Yeah. Right, because, like, Men, men said it kind of are socialized in a way that they that they think they can do these behave in those kind of ways, whereas women have to. Well, whatever, I, I think it's harmony. not just. I don't know, but like that's. It's not just the that's socializing. Not what, that's super simplistic, but I, I don't think that. Yeah, so like that's 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 yeah, that just the fact that the bullies are male um, doesn't mean that there's a bro culture. Well, then. It just means that yeah. Well, and I no. think you you are there's. At least for me personally, there's a lot of things that have probably shaped the way that I communicate on Twitter. And I think a big part of it is my gender um, and how we are received. And that when I was openly critical on Twitter, I had people personally come to me and saying, you know, oh, you won't get hired if you are perceived as a bitch. <laughs> and you're just there going oh, like, well... But like in the end, those those are all the things that shape you, and those are the things that people will go through people's minds, or at least go through my mind when I formulate a tweet and I decide whether to send it or not. Um, and like, there are so many reasons why why people can get the 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 wrong impression, but I think they also don't give open signs a chance because they. They see two bad actors, and then, as you say, Sophia, they use it as an excuse to just blanket rule out a whole movement. Um, and to be fair, that could, those kind of excuses do um, make me feel like I cannot participate in criticism, in thoughtful, like whatever good faith criticism of things. So I, I do not feel, I do not feel comfortable um, joining a discussion of a paper. Be even though I so often want to do that, right? And like lots of these papers that are discussed, I, I do think should be criticized. And I do think can be criticized as, uh, as, as like sort of also publicly as well, because these are not written by grad students. Um, these, are, these are written by full professors, right? We, I don't think I've seen a single scandal kind of in, in quotation marks um, about a paper by by a graduate student or by some marginalized, um, by, you know, like it's it's always the full professors with their papers that have have somewhat implausible hypotheses and weak evidence that that then that, that well, not always. I mean, that's there's also grad general, students, but it's often often yeah. Really, have you seen this? 
I think regret, like regrets. I I, th- I think I, I I get I get the impression that people like well, wait, wait, I know, with, 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 sorry the criticism I've seen of Twitter um, that people do sort of take into account the position mm-hmm. in the hierarchy of this person. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I do think that we have to set our threshold for what counts as bullying really high when it comes to people that are high in the hierarchy right because bullying punching up cannot have the same threshold as bullying punching down because if it does then no bully will ever no, so like no actual bully um will ever be called uh, be able to be called out for anything that they've done wrong right yeah in a way because then i mean that's that sounds weird but you know as in like someone who's high up in a hierarchy can't be bullied as easily as someone who's low down in the hierarchy who's then then you could argue that calling out a bully is also bullying them because of course calling out a bully in, in, like, in, involves lots of people getting uh, involved in this and calling them out right and I don't know does that, does that make sense I think roughly I think we're I wonder, I'm, 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 <laughs> so I think it's probably because when it, it makes like I get it I don't say that. Right, everything like, like, makes of, of course, of, no. Of, of course, like in so I mean, the sort of in like a bully in a, a bully is higher up. Yeah. It's like someone who's able to bully is higher up in the yeah. social hierarchy at least. Yeah. Right. So, you know, see what I mean? Anyway, yeah, well, I mean, no, I basically, think, the main the, point is so bullying punching up the... needs to be possible. It's like not bullying, but like that. That's no. I ret- I retract that. Bullying pun- punching up is also bad, but only if it really is bullying, and that needs to be quite harsh when it's punching up. In yes. order to count as bullying, like just criticizing a paper and saying I don't believe this is not enough to be bullying. Well, also, when it's punching up. Uh, also, this comes at one of the big issues I think I have in science is that you can't criticize the science without criticizing the scientist. I think we would have solved so many <laughs> problems if people could criticize the science without being seen as criticizing the scientist. Oh my god, if there is, you know, I get if this that could people be, do if this. I could solve one issue, I think that could improve the whole thing, whole venture of science so much. Yeah, just, just sort of, just sort of a, a, a reminder, all the, like sort of a constant reminder, sort of do not conflate the science with the scientist. You, like especially if you're the scientist like, it's just, oh. no i agree so much and that's something that's especially so difficult much. on social media right because it's i think that that makes that confounding element a lot stronger because if you write a, a mm. three or four kind of tweet thread about a specific paper kind of slamming it then it's very easy to see that as an attack on the methods that we used and therefore the researchers that did the methods I don't know. I I feel like on social media, it's just easier to conflate the research and the researcher. But then we don't do it in person either. Probably because either. we're trying to do things in so few characters. Like, do you do you do it in person? Do you do it at a conference? Like, I don't know. Yes, exactly. When people when people say, "Oh, you know, this should, this just shouldn't happen on Twitter. This should happen in insert place here where people do not have a voice who aren't already full professors," kind of thing. I don't think people have, people really do this in conferences at conferences or, or in other places. No. no, not to the extent that it needs to be done. Also on Twitter, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's a real it's not going to make of... much of a difference, right? I mean, you're in a room of sometimes twenty people who so are only half best, paying attention. So, <laughs> at best, those people can learn from what you're saying. But really, is it is, is anyone moving forward? I don't think so. And that's what I meant when I said that I I found it so lovely at SIPS that people were really working together to get better together and that there was this, this this idea of being wrong is fine as long as we figure out what like figure out a better way uh, at some point kind of thing yeah and i think i think we have i think we have this idea that we're all meant to be perfectly right uh and like sort of objectively right i mean i, I kind of i guess you kind of get this in publication bias as well right so like you have to not you have to be right all the time with everything yeah your predictions have to be right all the time and criticism is wrong. it's hard because science is the venture for truth and we often have i think conflated this venture for truth with our own job on the one hand so our calling and then our our output 
each, and I've, I had this recently at an interview, um, and I find like each paper I write, they might all be flawed. They will all be flawed. And they will all probably not point at the truth, but at the end of my scientific career, I might be able to look back and, and start distilling some of the truth from that. So I think that, that issue of us seeing ourselves as, you know, we need to find the truth in like every second that we do. No, we won't. We will be finding a mess. We can't. And more messes and more messes and only by working together and critically assessing everything and looking back all of the time will we actually be able to distill truth. So um, by criticizing the, by criticizing somebody's science, you're not, you know, you're, you're helping that person be better. And in the current system, you're criticizing their ability to tell the truth. But the thing is, we won't, we are not even, we're not able to do that anyways. So yeah, I think um, there are a lot of issues in that as a whole and that we really need to think through as, as science. And I hopefully by changing things in open science and making results more messy and making collaborations more of a thing, I think we are moving in the right direction. We still have a lot, a long, long way to go. Yeah. Well, exactly. I think like we'll, we'll we'll look worse while doing better. Mm. Yeah, and I yeah. right. That's because because yeah, this 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 weird idea that we yeah we we can be as as clean and truth uh, like close mm. to the truth or whatever as as people claim is so unhelpful. I I so agree with you. Well, and I think on all of what you said. Yeah. I think I get that with, so I don't want to go into my work, but my work doesn't give any clear answers. And I am doing job interviews at the moment. And people ask like, oh, but what answers can you give? And I'm like, well, in five years, I can give you a lot better answers than I could, you know, and it's, it's hard. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with myself. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you agree oh, with yourself. It's that's, been a long day. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe to to wrap up, probably the message that I think we all we all agree on for any early career people, especially, but um, but any listeners that that might harbour some worry about open science practices, whether it's because you're more vulnerable, because your data's out there, whether it's that it might take more time to do something, whether you're worried that um, that there might be some bad actors within open science. I think there's also so much good going on to promote diversity, equality, to even protect early career researchers by promoting that kind of the research methods should be out there and and all of these things actually really are active players in in sort of protecting the more vulnerable right and if we compare that to the status quo of an awful lot of bullying and harassment going on behind the scenes or publication bias forcing people out of research because they can't publish their messy results for whatever bizarre reason um, like I, the way that I see open science is a way to sort of protect the more vulnerable, the more junior members of our community because it allows you to get your research out there, it allows you to have a publication record, it allows you to to be a part of a community that sort of values pursuing the truth rather than pursuing a publication count It allows um, you to be wrong and learn from it Yes, which is which is perfect and I think so so a plea for early career researchers please do not be put off by seeing the odd bad player or maybe a bit of um, critique that sounds too harsh or people that sort of imply at least that the open science community is full of people who are just looking to tear things down and attack uh, researchers based on whatever it's really it's really not we call out bad players, it happens a lot, there will always be bad players, but in open science the bad players are out in the open and they can be called out and things can be done about it um, so, I'd always rather have <laughs> an, an, you know, someone being an, like, openly being a jerk rather yeah. than being oh. a jerk behind closed doors 
so and it's and it's the perfect community to get help i think and it's the best so community you'll ever join because it's a true community and nobody's the, you know oh, i i could it's so do a nice whole podcast about just me saying that you should so much support from everyone join yeah. and putting that into quotation marks because we still don't really know what joining the open <laughs> science community is um but yeah well get involved in the discussions yeah ask people questions be open to yeah being wrong be open to criticism and i think be open to learning be open that things take time like you know it, it takes time for you to establish yourself it takes time for even to know what is going on and that's it's all a learning process and we're all learning and we we all started somewhere and it's important to start you know that's the important thing um it's not in what kind of l open science level again in quotation marks you're at yeah i remember a year ago i was i was still lurking on twitter and then sort of started um sort of commenting on things for the first time and I got ignored for a little while but then people started talking to talking back to me and that was nice like that's I don't know that's fine you see you also learn so much just from just from following um what's going on and and seeing what people are working on I think. yeah I think just being open to the idea that you you can learn things and you can do things in a better way I think is almost like just the baseline right it's it's not much it's just you'd like things to be more rigorous you you'd like to just do the best work that you can um so i think we're just about out of time um please join the open science community it is full of nice people um sometimes we have cookies sometimes we have cookies if you come to the journal clubs we have food um <laughs> if you would like to continue this conversation in general that would be cool as well. We're online. We have DMs. Um, any final thoughts? We good? We're good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I love how that. Love how it, with this episode, I'm actually sort of leaving this thinking. This is so great. I feel very positive and yeah. and warm. <laughs> I don't know about you. We'll leave you guys with warm <laughs> feelings, like a warm cup of tea. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> we all just did cheesy smiles. Okay, bye everyone. Bye. bye. <laughs> See you soon. Bye guys. <laughs>